I feel like Glamnetic is, is my identity and I represent that to the world and I want to spread the love of Glamnetic. We're very much of the notion like fail fast and figure it out and make sure that we don't do it again. My goal is to have it indistinguishable from the real life inspo. Like if someone had it done at the salon and they put it next to our nail, like I want it to be either the same or better. I feel like it's important for people to know, you know, whatever they are going through. Yeah. That they can they can get out of it and their lives can turn around. Anne McFerrin, founder of Glamnetic, Forbes 30 under 30, Inks top. I don't even oh know. God. I don't even know all. The, I, don't know, I, I don't even know all of the lists you've been on. I just know you're on a lot of lists. Um, but you know you're a very successful founder in beauty. Thank Your you. first year, you did 50 million in sales. Uh, you started with magnetic lashes, which mm -hmm. I am wearing. Um, and then now you have nails and and a ton of other stuff. Yeah. Um, Let's go. Let's start with with your origin story. Story how you started, Glamnetic, and then after that, I want to go into your background because I feel like that's really crucial too. So, do you want me to give like the whole overview of like how Glamnetic started, or just maybe take it you, from the beginning? Take take it from the beginning. Okay. Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me, Nicole. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> Nicole's been a longtime friend, and um, when she started the podcast, she's like, you definitely need to be on. I'm like, yeah, of course I'm going to go on. Yeah. Duh. Duh. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I actually was born in Bangkok, Thailand, and I immigrated here with my mom when uh, I was seven years old. Um, I actually had a really, like, rough childhood, like, I guess we can go into that later, but in Thailand just um, before I moved to America. And then when I moved here, it was sort of like, the awakening, like the beginning of, of it all. The first time I saw color, cause I felt like I had a, kind of a depressing childhood. Um, but my mom, you know, had divorced my biological father and um, they were, they got separated. And so, so did me and my sister. And so it was just me and her going to America for the first time. And um, we moved to a small town called uh, Tracy, California initially. And then we moved again to um, Antica, California. My mom remarried to my current stepdad. Um, that's where I got my last name, McFerrin. Um, and she also let me choose my first name as well, my first and middle name. Wait, what's your original first name? Jitsupa uh, Tung Tungjit. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone <laughs> could say it. And that was, that was why we decided we needed to change it because every time... Like, I, I went to third grade. That was my first grade that uh, I went to when I went to America, and no one could pronounce my name. I, I didn't even speak English. I didn't speak a word of English. And it took me about a year and a half to be fluent. I was in, like, the ESL, English as a Second Language program, and then I moved to the gated program in, like, a year, a gifted and talented program. And um, I worked really hard because I was just, like, determined to, to learn English. And I did really well in acad um, academia, and so basically fast forward to uh, college, I got into UCLA. Um, and that was when I was like, wow, moving away from home. I lived a really sheltered life up to that point. My mom and dad didn't let me go out past 5 p.m. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't have many friends anyway. So all I did was study uh, and read books. So no friends, no boyfriends. I had one friend and she lived down the street. <laughs> Until uh, what age? 17? A while, <laughs> like, until oh. I got into college. Wow. Um, yeah, no one, 
I guess like she was the only she was the other Asian girl in school like there was no other Asian girls and so she was like you're the other Asian girl in school I'm gonna befriend you her name was Colleen and so she would call me every day on you know the home phone yeah <laughs> and I, we would like talk for an hour and I would, I'd be like wow she's like really interested in me and like I just didn't I didn't ha- know how to make friends because I, I had social anxiety growing up because of my upbringing uh, up to the age of seven like my parents left me pretty early on and so I didn't know how to like form these relationships and so having somebody else like reach out was like really important and that was like my first taste of friendship I guess as a as a kid and then when I got to college um, I went I got to UCLA I went to this program called Leadership Enterprise for a Diverse America Lita mm-hmm. and they help you they help like um, low-income students get into top colleges and all of my all of my like college, I guess all of the people in that got into like Harvard, Stanford, Yale. And so it felt to me like, oh, I just got to UCLA. I was like, oh, this isn't as big of a deal because I was comparing myself to them. And then I realized like UCLA is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I got a scholarship because my grades were good and it was low income. But um, I worked really hard in school. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I, again, I was like a nerd. I, I really like sciences. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do psychobiology that was like what I declared um and I thought I was going to be going into the medical field after I graduated because it was stable and that's why my mom my mom considered you know my mom said we moved you over here like we need you to you know make money for us you know obviously and my sister I was following my sister's footsteps and she went to the U.S. Naval Academy Annapolis and that was such a big deal you have to get a congressional nomination and all this and so I realized um I needed to do more in school. And that was when I decided to, uh, you know, major in psychobiology. Um, And then I realized I didn't really like the medical field and I was much more creative than that. My mom like grew, when I was growing up, my mom was painting murals around the neighborhood. And so I always grew up around art and I always loved art. My first ever business was actually my my best friend, Colleen, like helping me with this. But uh, I started a shirt business and um, it was like a hand-painted graphic t-shirt. I had made it. I had painted the first t-shirt for my boyfriend at the time, and everyone in school saw it, and they were like, oh, my God, can I get one? And so everyone started um, asking for custom t-shirts, and I would charge, like, over $100 for it, which was a lot of money at the time. Um, And so I always had this thing for art, and I got into my first school. uh, I got my – I did my first art class, um, and that was with – Professor Don Suggs at UCLA, and he opened my eyes up about what art could be because I thought art was just like drawing sort of realism. And then I realized, wait, um, I can actually draw, like, I don't express myself in a much more abstract way. And he opened up my eyes to how anybody can make art if if the process is correct. And so it became more of a journey of exploration for art. And that was when I really fell in love with it. And so then when I uh, start, when I graduated, um, I opened up this Instagram page, The Modern Artista, which is my current Instagram page. And it, the name is still the same. And I sold art off of it. Um, I started like documenting my art through that class. And then people started like asking for commissions, similar to like my shirt company. And so basically, I sold my first commission for uh, a few grand. And that was when I was like, wait, this is crazy. This is the most money I've ever seen um, from my bare hands. Like they just bought this. I like this. I made this with my bare hands, and they just bought this, and so I, I was like, "Wow, this is incredible!" And so my four-year journey of with art started, and I did that for about full like full time. I took a little bit of some side jobs here and there, but mostly most of the time I was like committed to to being an artist. 
And and then I realized it was pretty stagnant and that I had to be at the canvas, in front of the canvas every single day, eight hours a day or more to complete a piece. And it just felt like it wasn't scalable. I was like, I can't do this for long term. Um, but one of my clients, um, a few of my clients actually were all like e-commerce, uh, e-commerce business people. And so I was like looking at what they were doing. Um, Shopify was gaining traction at the time. And I realized, wait, this is something that I should look into because I can actually put my creativity into a product and replicate it infinitely, whatever amount, right? And um, I don't have to be there in front of the canvas. I can focus on building something meaningful and long-term. And so that's when I decided, like, I want to start a business. And then I... um, I saw magnetic lashes sort of trending, but it was the type that sandwich your lashes in between two layers of magnets. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, and they fell off instantly or like something was wrong. Like it was just really difficult to apply. And so I decided to kind of look into that deeper because it's it's it was a really cool, interesting idea, but there it, the application and then the execution execution of it was just wrong. Um, and so I went on a product deep dive for about a year because I also realized like there's no easy to apply lashes on the market. None of my friends could apply lashes. There's a real problem here in the market that's not being met. And also you were passionate about that because you didn't you wear yes. fake lashes all the time? Yeah. I mean, going back to like being the only Asian kid in school, I was very insecure about the way my eyes looked compared to everyone else. I was like, I wanted to like big like lashes. Doll eyes. Yeah, I wanted doll eyes, right? <laughs> like like everyone else who was around me was white. I was like, I want to be like that, obviously. Like when you're the only person, you know, you, you just feel you just feel insecure. And so I I always wore lashes. I started wearing lashes at a very early age and I never took them off. And so I was an expert in lashes my in my own right, but none of my friends knew how to apply them. Um, so I I realized there was a big gap in the market there that needed to be filled and I felt like it was my calling I felt very called to this (laughs) to this purpose and so I spent about a year and a half in product development um, and teaching myself everything on even sourcing product development how to do all that like all on Google and YouTube basically you learned everything on Google yeah I mean I just literally Googled I didn't I didn't actually like ask anyone for help I didn't get mentorship from, from anyone I just watched a bunch of content like if you think about it, all the top mentors already put information out they there do. on the internet. They like, do. It's so funny because yeah. I always talk about how in school you don't learn these skills, these life skills that are out there in the world. And there are people that are you know, putting out this content um, that is so useful and valuable and is going to change the trajectory of your life. But you did it yourself, which is incredible. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. And also, you didn't have to raise money. Did you? Yeah. So I, I mean, I just wanted, honestly, when I started, my goal was just to make $10,000 a month. And I'd feel like I, that would, that would be a great living for me. And that was my goal initially when I started. So I obviously wanted to do with like not raising capital and all that. I didn't want it to be complex. I just wanted it to kind of be my own like little business that I ran. And then, um, but then, yeah, I went, I developed a product and got this like magnetic eyeliner, um, formula created and then um, also developed the lashes. There were no like voluptuous uh, long lashes on the market that were magnetic. Again, like everything was sort of thin plasticky and sandwiched between uh, two layers of magnets. And so I, uh, when I developed the, the, the lashes, uh, it was like a big deal because people, when people actually applied it, they were like, whoa, this is 
this is really good. That was that was when I knew that this product would do well because I, I tested it on all of my friends and everybody's reaction was like, whoa, what? Like, like just like mind blown. And when you have a product that blows your mind, especially in beauty, it's, I think it's a home run. And so I felt really good about the product. I knew that it was gonna work. Um, and so, yeah, I started, I, we launched on uh, July 31st, 2019. That's my birthday. No way. Yeah, July 31st is my birthday. Whoa, that's crazy. That's so nuts. Go Glam on, though. and you are doing Yeah, we're... Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, yeah, we launched uh, July 31st, and the first day we did, like, $1,000 in sales. And that was, honestly, I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. Like, in one day, yeah, I was like, this is crazy. That is a lot for one day. But, yeah. But where, but where were you selling it? Like, It was did, on Shopify. You just start. You just made no, the like page? No, like, the, the very that, plain, like, not... Shopify Plus, just normal Shopify. Like, but how like, did people find out about you? I start. So I started an Instagram page at uh, at Glamnetic, and um, initially, actually, it was a meme page that I ran and grew to like a few, like a few thousand followers. And then, like after the brand started, I started switching the content over to um, to Glamnetic. And I still remember, by the way, I forgot to talk about the name, but. The moment that I created the name, I was like sitting on the kitchen table and I was trying to put words together because I realized how um, you need to kind of make your own name if you want something that hits in people's minds. You can't just put like, you know, like be like, call it like silly lashes or lovely lashes. Like it's just like it looks, yeah. you know what I mean? You needed to create something new that no one's ever heard of. And so especially if you want it not taken on Instagram or on the website. And so I started putting these word combos together and Glamnetic hit. And that was when I was like, whoa. And I, I think it's a great name. And also, I love that not only you wear your own product, but you have the necklace yeah. of the brand name always. You're always wearing it. Yeah. The first month we launched, I bought the necklace because I was just like, I, I'm so proud of what I created. And I want to wear it. You know, I want to support And it looks great, actually, as a necklace because the, yeah. the words are like, the letters are perfect. Um and yeah, so when I put those two words together, I was like, this is it. I think this is a home run product. Um, and so yeah, after after that, we just, I mean, me basically tried to keep scaling. I actually hired an intern um, at UCLA. I was at a party at UCLA and she was there and she and I told her what, she, what I was doing. And she was like, if you ever need an intern, I don't care. I will work for free. I just want to learn from you. Like, please, wow. please. I was like, okay, sure. Like, doesn't hurt to have help. And um, so she started working with me um, part time a little bit. Her name was Shay, and then she uh, would help with uh, this thing called DM sales that we would do, which we would DM every follower. Because I was like, how do I make money if the customers aren't really hearing about it? The only people that are obviously like know about it are following Glamnetic, and but they're not activated. They're not purchasing actively. How do I get them to purchase? And that is like by literally messaging every person and being. And like, what would you say? Hey, um, I'm Ann, the founder of Glamnetic. Um, saw you're following the page. Just wanted to know, like, if you have any questions about the product. And then, like, I would get maybe like a 10% response rate, and that was good enough. And um, and then I would make them a custom discount code in their name. Um, at at around this time, by the way, I met my business partner, uh, Kevin Gold. Uh, so he he was a co-founder of INH Hair. Insert name here, Hair. And I had been wearing their hair for a while because they sent me hair. And uh, I was also kind of like a micro-influencer as well. And they asked me to be a model. And I was like, ooh, I want to learn about like, the inner workings of a brand, like behind the scenes, because maybe I'm going to do this one day. And so I went to the photo shoot, and he was there. And um, 
at first I thought he was the photographer <laughs> and um and then yeah and then basically like afterwards he asked me about my brand and I started telling him about it and that's when he was like wait I want to be a part of this um and so that was sort of when we started parting up like it was about a month after we launched but I had gone through the whole development process and pro- launched and everything and I was like it doesn't hurt to have help but I basically um, just said, I need help with like ops, finance, all the back end, all the stuff that I don't want to do. I want to focus on products, marketing, brand, like everything outward facing. Um, and so, so that's when that partnership began. And he had that idea about the, the DM sales. And I was like, oh, that's really smart. And that was sort of when I started going ham on it. And I was doing that for like the first three months. Um, and then meanwhile, uh, I also found this um, ad buyer in India uh, for to run like Facebook ads. I didn't think it was going to honestly be that massive for us but I yeah and I I heard at that time at least Facebook ads were everything yeah it was it was a big especially I mean honestly like if you started Facebook ads 10 years ago the ROI was insanely good and then like five years ago even you know good and then it kind of just slowly started getting worse um but like three years ago four years ago was still good um and so I just started giving him ads. He would be like, I just need some ads with you, like talking about the product or like showing the product. I didn't have an editor. I didn't have any resources. So I was just like, I'm just going to talk about the product myself, record myself on the phone and let's just run with that because that's the budget I have right now. And so I was like, hi, I'm Anne, founder and CEO of Glamnetic. This, these, if you struggle with lashes, um, these, introduce, whatever, I just like talked about like introducing Glamnetic, magnetic lashes, and then I would apply it. I was like, just apply the magnetic eyeliner and the lashes magnetize. You just, you don't need normal liner. You don't need glue. And that was it. Like that was the ad, 15 to 30 seconds. And I gave it to him and um, he ran them. And uh, they started working really well because I think people were like shook. that There was no product like that on the market really. Um, And so people were like, whoa, what is this crazy thing? And lashes has been like, lashes is like the most important I would say the most important beauty product. You can wear lashes and nothing else and you look like you have makeup on. You look beautiful. Oh, right? it's true. It feminizes the face. Um, but it's it's obviously really expensive getting lash extensions done. It's like $200. You have to, you have to go every two weeks. It's so annoying. Um, and no one can apply lash glue if they try to do a strip lash. So I was like, I'm really solving a problem here. And so we started really seeing like the sales lift, including me like doing the DM sales. So like every single month we started getting like um, revenue sort of doubling month over month. Um, and every money, every penny we made, we put it back into ads. So it was just like this machine of just like, okay, every, every, every penny we make, let's put it back, let's put it back. And then like on this, I think it was December, January, December. Yeah, it was like December. Um, and basically from July to December, we did like a million dollars. And then we sort of kept building on it, right? And I hired my first employee uh, about December, like November, December, Mia. It was so difficult to hire somebody because- Yeah, the hiring process is is difficult. Well, especially when you're like literally so bootstrapped. I'm working out of my Koreatown apartment and it's like a little townhouse in the back of a bigger house. It looks like a mini garage. And I, I just like made it a, a studio and I'm working in this. And that's like the Glamnetic headquarters. And so when I would um, try to hire people, I hired people off Craigslist initially, like the first three employees. No way. Yeah, because I was like, I don't know where else to go. And obviously that was a mistake because I, trained, <laughs> I ended up training them for like a day. And I was I was just getting over like this um, um, 
this barrier in my mind of like hiring somebody because it's, you know, to relinquish control was a lot, especially when I'm like, I got everything kind of all my ducks are in a row. Like I'm doing everything right. I'm, I'm seeing this momentum build, but I just can't handle it all. It's getting like, like, yeah, nobody, nobody can handle it all. And you yeah. have to learn how to, Cause how I was to doing delegate. Cus- yeah. Customer service and also dealing with product issues. Cause like we didn't have QC back at the time. So it was just like, and then having to relay that to the supplier and getting new, new products in, having to change things, product develop, customer, uh, marketing. And I was also taking all the photography. And so it was just like a lot. And I was like, oh my God, I don't think I can handle this. Cause it, I was working like basically the entire, like from morning to exactly when I sleep, like from waking to sleep, I, I didn't do anything else and talk to anybody else. And so it was just, it became overwhelming. And that was when I was like, okay, I think I need to figure out like how to spend a day, like take a day off of doing all this and just train somebody. And then I went through three people who like stayed for a day and then they were like, oh, JK, like I can't do this <laughs> because they were just like, this is a lot you're expecting from me and you're not paying me that much. So obviously, and you're, I'm in a little back house in a Koreatown apartment, like ghetto, you know, it's like yeah. not, it's not uh, glamorous. And I was like, well, okay. So I felt really defeated. And then finally, one of my friends, um, Vanya recommended me to like another person uh, that was like a friend. And that was when that recommendation went far because she was like telling her, she's like, I think this brand's gonna go somewhere. You should definitely like work here. I know you just graduated. You don't need, it's your first job, but like, let's, you know, you should do it. You should stick with it. That's helpful because then that person is vetted. Exactly. And so, and so like Mia Slaughter came in and she, um, she actually ended up also being like a model (laughs) as well because she was so pretty. And, um, and then she did everything else. She was like my right hand woman to everything and so initially she started off with everything and then it went really well she stayed kept coming back to work and I was like thank god thank god and then um a month a month after that we kept growing and then a month after that we kept growing so we kept like adding more employees uh we added like two three more and then we got an office and then COVID hit. <laughs> oh my God. COVID hit, right? A month after we got our office, or a month or two after we got our office, COVID hit. And so we we're like, okay, back into my Korean town apartment. <laughs> well, thank God you were able to get out of the lease. Um, yeah, yeah, because I think everything went to shit. And, um, but thankfully, like, people still were purchasing product. And the great thing about COVID was like the masks. Right, so no, lipstick sales went down. But oh, but the eyelash sales went up. So we were just like, <laughs> right place, right time, and it, everything just like shot up like three x. It was crazy. Wow. Um. So like, yeah, we were doing like a million dollars a month. Holy shit! <laughs> and I was still like startup vibes. Yeah. Like, you know, we're running everything the same, um, and. Uh, and we were still running ads. I'm, I'm like literally filming like twenty to thirty ads a day. And he's just like, the ad buyer's just like testing, testing. Um, and we got hit up by Ulta, like the first quarter of of 2020. And then they were like, we want to carry you. And I was like, uh, <laughs> we're not ready, but we're going to be ready. We're going to, we're going to work it out. And, um, wait, what I, made you say you're not ready? Well, we're just small. Like it was just. It was just me and like two other girls, you know, two, three other girls. But also, did you feel like you didn't have enough product? Like oh yeah, what? we kept, sell- that was an- another big problem was the inventory. Like you can't forecast inventory quick enough. I started with a hundred units of each SKU and we yeah. only had five lashes. So um, that sold out really quickly. And then it just like, 
you couldn't keep up with the ordering. We were sold out a lot, you know? And so actually we missed out on a lot of money because we were sold out a lot. Um, and, and then like inventory forecasting was just impossible when you're going that quickly, unless you over order and then you're like, Fuck, and then I'm you stuck. could be left with, um, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so we just had to kind of like guess. And then, um, we just wanted first to just make sure our D2C business was stable before we can do retail. But thankfully they gave us some time. Um, and so we, we had like a year basically. So we like launched the following year with Holta and it ended up being like an amazing partnership and still is an amazing partnership. Uh, and then another thing that happened was like, Hello Kitty. I know. <laughs> reached out. I think, I don't know if they reached out or we reached out, but um, yeah, we, we, we had a call and I was still in that little, I was still in that little office before COVID hit and I was, and I was just like, Basically, like, acting like we had a bigger brand than we, <laughs> we actually yeah. were. Because online, we looked like we were bigger, right? I mean, that, that's the thing is, yeah. like, nobody really knows. Yeah, no one really knows yeah. if it's, like, how many people are, like, running the business. But I felt, you know, like, a little bit of an imposter syndrome because it all happened so quickly. Like, I again, my goal was, like, $10,000 a month. Like, and here we are <laughs> just trying to keep up with orders. And um, I remember, like, we were so sold out that, I felt really bad because I was like, oh, shoot, we have some back orders. I need to get these orders out quick. And um, so I just ordered the liners without the label because it would take the factory like another month or so to complete the label, ship it and all that stuff with the secondary packaging. So then I just basically told them, ship me everything. I'll handle it myself. And so I like had 5,000 liners shipped to us. And then I just had friends help with the labels like, literally we were there for 10 hours oh like putting labels on like again i was still in my Koreatown apartment so it was like really small space packaging everywhere and you're doing that too right yeah yeah i'm like free pizza <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully i had like really good friends who were like willing to help and be there um but then we got when we got the packages out in time so that was that was really good but it felt like a labor of love like it was and i'll always look back on those years being like wow like that was a fucking amazing time. Like I loved every second of it. Even though it was so hard and stressful, it was just like, I just feel like you're never gonna go through that again, like in a business. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I relate to that. Yeah, it's so fun. Like, and I think that when people ask me like, what should I do in life? Like I'm lacking purpose. I'm like, go wherever your heart feels called to. Like that's sort of where I like, I was really, really lost. Like I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just followed where my curiosity went and that led me into the right place. Like I started with art and I thought that that was what my purpose was. And then I realized like, I'm not really having that much fun here. What can I do? Like when you start having, stop having fun doing what you're doing, that means like you, you should shift. And I know that sounds like, oh, it's like shiny object syndrome, but like it does, I feel like your intuition leads you to the right place. Um, yeah, and, and I feel like that's not to say that, you know, the thing that you're passionate about that you have fun doing won't also come with really hard work you yeah. know and and grunt work that is not as exciting as the actual execution of the product or whatever it is that you're doing you know what I mean like you still had to sit there and do some grunt work and find people and go through um go through new hires and you know, all this stuff that's like really exhausting to yeah. do but it's still your passion and so it becomes worth yeah. it and people don't realize like the difference between you know having having fun and being passionate and also, like, you know, maybe you won't be having fun for a little bit while you're getting there. Yeah. And I think another big thing is people don't realize, like, when you're starting off and you don't have nothing and you you are starting from the beginning, you don't have much to lose. 
So like I knew that, you know, what's the worst that could happen, right? I lose everything, I lose all my money, like I didn't care because I've been there before. Like I, I used to trade in the stock market. I was like a day trader for about a year and a half, I, for two years. I just wanted to figure out a way to like get out of nine to five race and just make my own money. And, you know, it blew up in my face. Like I blew up my account twice. Like Oh my God. I went to zero twice. I had no idea. I went up to like $30,000 in my account, $50,000 in my account. And then I like- at One the, trade, at, it's at gone. At that age. And then, yeah, I, I was in like a Shopify actually. Dude. I was in a Shopify trade overnight before earnings call. And I was so, I was like, it's gonna be a positive earnings call. Like I knew it and it was. But what, what was crazy was it, that stock went down 30%. And wow. I was over leveraged on the position. And I was like, why Why is it going down? And I realized it was just like, people did know it was a positive earnings, but it was below what was expected. Like okay, they were expecting okay. it to be like this, but it went like this, even though it was positive. And so I went down 30%. I was like, I was shook and I lost like all my money. <laughs> oh my God. And so, yeah, I was just like, I was used to it. I was like, I, I'm okay with starting from zero. Cause I remember when I moved from Thailand, I started from zero, you know, like even worse. Cause I didn't even have friends. I didn't have, a family and so I was like I, I feel like it's worth it's worth it and so I think that's makes it more fun because you feel like it's not so high stakes that you're gonna lose everything and then as you get bigger though that's when it gets more stressful because you're like there's a lot more at stake if I make the wrong decision on a product it's like costing the the brand hundreds of thousands of dollars it's not the same you know hundred dollar two thousand dollar five thousand dollar mistake it's like the hundreds of thousands of dollars in mistake and, and, and a bunch of team time and development. Um, and we've made a few of those. Um, you know, like we over projected what we were gonna make, you know, the year prior, the year after, uh, after COVID and we over ordered on inventory. And so we had to like write off a bunch of inventory. Like there's just um, a bunch of things like that that like happened along the way. Like there was an automatic discount code on, um, on Shopify that was mistakenly put there and uh, people went ham and got like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of free product. And we didn't oh even God. know. It was already shipped. <laughs> like people went ham and they bought. Dude. It was crazy stuff like that. You're like, oh, I need to put a freaking filter um, so that any orders above X amount like get flagged. Like there's all these like things that you just don't know going into a business. And so you just make the mistakes. And so we're just like, we're very much of the notion like fail fast and figure it out and make sure that we don't do it again kind of thing. But no one's going to be there like telling you like, don't do X, Y, Z, because they're so specific. And it's specific to your brand, specific to your product, specific to your customers that you just like would never know and find out unless you like go through it. But I think again, like it's, it makes it fun. You know, obviously if everything was always sunshines and rainbows, it's never going to, it's not going to be fun. You're just going to um, get used to that and then you're just it's like human nature to get used to something and then like your brain goes somewhere else so I think the challenge of it makes it more like exciting and it makes you more focused on on it because you're like there's a lot of there's a lot of hand I need to make sure that everything goes well um, but yeah scaling was when it, it, it the business really changed like we got to like 30 employees now we're at like a hundred you had a hundred employees yeah and some of them are like globally distributed. Like we have a lot in the Philippines and in India. And also you're not just in Ulta, you're in Sephora. Yeah. You're in Walmart? No, no. So we're at a higher price point, so we couldn't get into like a, a mass But there was retail. another one I saw you and you announced yeah, it. What Kohl's. was it? Kohl's. Yeah. Okay, there so we we're, go. So we're in like, we're in all, basically Sephora and Kohl's, they both had partnerships with uh, Target and Kohl's. 
uh, respectively. And so like we got into all of those avenues because we had already had the partnership with um, Ulta and Sephora. Um, but what was crazy that was like on the first on our first birthday launch, um, we launched nails, press on nails, which is a completely different category. And like just because you launch a different category and you already have a lot of customers doesn't mean that that category is going to succeed. If anything, it's more likely to fail because customers just aren't used to you. They're known. They know you as like the lashes. The, or yeah. Like, yeah. Like your your name, Glamnetic, means magnetic right but I'm like no like the magnetic magnetic actually means like magnetic as a person like you're a magnetic person you have a magnetic personality and when you put on or when you feel beautiful and you put on our products you feel that confidence you become a magnetic person so that was sort of where um I, well, that's how I felt glam, like glamnetic really represented to me um and so yeah press on nails was like the new thing that I was like I don't feel like there's anything on the market that's like super trendy and high quality for press on nails. It's a antiquated industry. It's been around for 20, 30 years, but it's just, it has a bad rep. People think anyone who, wear, who wears press on nails is like cheap, poor, whatever, or it just doesn't look as good as like going to the nail salon. Are but, you wearing them now? Yeah. Okay, here, look. Let's do a, <laughs> looks, the sa- looks the same almost. Are you guys getting this? Is it there? I mean, I can't even. Sh- I mean, this I can't is even. New, this I mean, is a new. This is a new. Style but it. We're like it testing. looks. It look. You're always testing your your stuff. Um, it looks very similar, and these are mine. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's that was my goal when I built this category, because I always loved press on nails. I've only went to the nail salon like three times in my life, and I hated it. I hated really? it. Really? I hated getting acrylics. I got it for prom once, and I just remember how painful it was on my nails. I was like, why is it so painful? It was so uncomfortable, and if I wanted to take it off, I had to go back to the nail salon. I'm like, oh my god, Like, there's full dependency on needing this nail artist for me to like get my nails. This is crazy. Um, but girls dealing with deal with it like every two weeks, month. I was like, oh, this yeah. is crazy. So I, I I started using press on nails instead and I didn't like any of the designs. Like I just got basic ones like French or whatever, but if I wanted any trendy designs, especially ones that were on my Instagram home feed, there was like nothing on the market. I was like, this is crazy. No one's again, I, I saw an industry that I, I just felt like didn't have trend and I, I went into it. So I um yeah, started creating like the the nails and we started creating custom nail molds where like nobody else has the nail mold, like the shape, the length, like everything was custom. And then, um, you know, we got it mass replicated. And then our team, because everyone's really young, like I'm the oldest person on our product development team. And they're always on Instagram. So it, it helps because we're always like sending um, inspo in a, in a channel and then we have a whole process that we follow and we go through different iterations of one design like 10 times. We get like 10 different samples from the supplier until it's perfect. So we really put a lot of detail, effort, like... Into the product. Into the product to make sure it literally looks... My goal is to have it indistinguishable from the real life inspo. Like if someone had it done at the salon and they put it next to our nail, like I want it to be either the same or better. Most yeah. of the time it's better because it's like, it's not handmade. So it's like always perfect, you know? Yeah. I love that video um, of Matt talking <laughs> about how your nails look just like the nails that everyone gets done at a salon. Yeah. That actually, it, it, I feel like it went semi-viral. Yeah. Yeah. It did really well. Um, I think it hit the nail on the head with like, especially a man, like 
they if, if girls can't tell you think a man can tell no like yeah. he was just like i didn't even know you weren't going to the salon <laughs> i assumed that you were this whole time but then i realized obviously you have a a brand a nail brand so um but i think it, it hit it right on the nose he was just like i love like i think it's sexy that you have like beautiful nails but i love that you don't have to spend time or money doing it and obviously like Guys spending money on their girls, like to go to the nail salon, they save money too. So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you, yeah. So you create, you created a great product, two great products. Yeah. And then uh, you're also saving people money. Yeah, that was that's a big cornerstone of the brand. Like the big ethos is like save people time, money, and effort. So we're taking salon services and bringing it back home. So like DIY beauty, basically, um, and bringing giving accessibility and also power back to the people in terms of their beauty routine because it's just like think about it we spend how many hours do you think overall cumulatively you've spent in your lifetime getting ready uh hundreds of thousands (laughs) yeah right i don't it's like if you probably just like like actually recorded the amount of time that you spend on like just beauty like thinking about it buying it Plus the getting ready. It's at least like, an hour. And, and think about like all of these um, get ready with me videos. It's not just like the choosing the outfit. It's like you literally spend at least half an hour putting on the foundation, contouring the face, doing your eyeliner, yeah. now doing your lashes, lining your lips. It's just like, it's it's insane. It's all, it's like a necessary evil almost like to be a part of society. Yeah, it's it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy what 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 we have to because it's through. like it is it sucks. It's like I mean, obviously men are judged more about like how successful they are. Women are judged by like their beauty and their whatever. And it's like as much as I don't want that to be the case in in society, it, it is. You know. Oh, it's a hundred percent true. It, so, the the amount that we value youth and beauty for women compared to other characteristics is just astronomically, you know. Yeah. On a higher rung. Yeah, it's it's honestly, um, <laughs> I thought about this. I had this thought because I was like, uh, especially, you know, people who go to Burning Man or like places where it's like you're out in nature and you're not like in society, you realize that all, all of these are constructs. Like beauty is a human construct. You know, the feeling like you need to look a certain way is a human con- construct. Time is a construct in itself. Um, the ability, the, the need to t- climb a ladder of, of success is a construct. Like you don't actually need any of those things. Like really... The only thing that matters in life is love and like your connection with other people. But unfortunately in society, like that beauty standard makes you feel like that's a necessary part of like the armor that you need to put on in order to have those relationships, which is so not true. And to be accepted by society or, you know, to hold the male gaze or whatever it is that makes you feel like you belong. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, Yeah. So I'm just like, I just want to be on this mission to like shorten that the Short, time that we that spend time. on that. Shorten the effort. Like, make it brainless. Make it, like, fun. You know? Like, if you can make beauty and um, the routine itself fun and not tedious, then you're doing something good for, for the world, right? Yeah. Um, and you are the main model of your brand. Beautiful, successful. Thank you. You know, you've seen yourself on billboards on main streets in Los Angeles and other places. I've literally been to Sephora with you in like Vegas and other places where you're, you know, your face is there and you're pretty young Mm. to have success at this age, which I'm not, it's a great thing. I love that. Um, But, you know, now that you've had a taste of all of this, um, what can you tell people who want to go on 
a, jour- a journey like yours because you've obviously you've learned a lot, learned a lot, you've felt a lot. Yeah. You know, you were Forbes 30 under 30. You've had all the markers in society that everyone strives towards. You've been there, done that now. Yeah, it's so crazy that you say and you give an overview like that because it doesn't feel like I still don't feel like super successful for some reason. Like it's not and I feel like that's maybe just like the human brain. When you get used to something, you're just like, okay, like I don't really I don't know. I'm obviously like really grateful for for all of those opportunities and and what I've been able to accomplish. But I don't it hasn't set in, in in my head. I think a lot of the reason why is because I, I don't really define success by like how many billboards and like how much money you make. I don't really define success that way. I feel like the most successful people, the people that I look up to are the happiest people in the world. Like the people that get to really just do whatever they love, like have total freedom. And that to me is like success. Um, and, you know, I feel like I feel like Glamnetic is is my identity and I represent that to the world and I want to spread the love of Glamnetic to the world. And so in that way, I sort of have to be the face of it because I am the brand. Um, but I don't necessarily feel like an ego about it, I guess. It was like, it was cool to have it. And I, it was like surreal to see that. And people are like, oh my God, like they think it's so much more like cool than what I, maybe I personally think because I'm just like, this is just a part of the job. Like, you know, yeah. I sort of see it like that. Um, and so I think it's because I don't, I don't have as much of an ego about it. I don't necessarily, I still feel like the same exact person, um, as before I started. Like, I'm still down to, like, drive my PT Cruiser around and, like, paint, get paint all over me and I don't really care. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love that about you. I remember when I first met you, uh, in Miami, I thought, oh my God, she's so humble. (laughs) You're like, you were just so humble and sweet and like trying to get to know people and you didn't have that ego at all which was foreign to me because I've met a lot of successful people um, in and outside of LA and you know a lot of that once they get there they start yeah. so you know their ego gets a little bigger yeah. and you know they, they see themselves as maybe like above others or whatever you know mm-hmm. we see that we see that a lot in LA and I and I love the way you define success and just knowing you as a friend, um, you're not superficial like that. Even though you you know you own a beauty brand, not that that's superficial, but you know what I mean. It's like you pay attention to other things besides beauty. Like you know, you're always trying to like get people together and go on adventures. Or like even on your birthday, you want you know you have your friends over uh, in your house, and you know you get everyone around the table and they're sharing personal things. And like we're you know we're all crying together and stuff, which is like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a beautiful thing. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I really admire that about oh, you. Thank but you so much. You're welcome. I um, really love that, by the way, like what I did on my birthday. Like, I, I'm i just so sick of like the superficial like LA parties. I, I obviously like growing up in LA, I was like, initially it was like, wow, that's so cool, whatever. Like getting to those parties was whatever. And then when you get older, you're like, wow, I realize I don't really get much out of going to these parties. I meet somebody, I meet 5 million people at a party and I forget their names. I don't remember. It's like you want to get to know that person and their soul. And the only way you can do that is through deep connection. And that's why I was like, on my birthday, I want to do something different. So like I invited, I invited um, some people that I wanted to get to know more. And then also people that were already my close friends. And then I had people do, we sort of made like a Shallows Tea House vibe. I don't know if you know what that is, but like it's more of like cozy, comfy, um, ambient, lighting 
And then we um, sat around in a circle and everyone like shared, you know, first we did intros, which got really emotional because people were really sharing like their life story. And it, there were some stories that we were just like, holy crap, like you went through some shit, you know? And then we did We Are Not Really Strangers uh, games, which is like a really, they, it asks like really deep questions that are really personal. We and have it somewhere here. <laughs> <laughs> it's so deep and people really opened up to strangers. And so like we sort of had this fast bonding because within two hours, like everyone knew like really personal things soul. about each other. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was like this deep bond and connection that you can't get through a normal like party. Right. Because you just don't go there. It's taboo, I guess. But if you create a space where people can have that connection with each other, it's powerful. And people feel almost like energized and relieved and for the first time connected. Right. Like I think a lot of people in big cities, especially they're feeling disconnected from other people because it's like there's so many people around. But yet you're not really like knowing anybody on a deep level because you just there's no stillness. There's always chaos. It's always like the million parties that are going around and maybe there's a better option. So you always feel like, a, you know, you you always feel distracted. And so I think it's really important. And, and I encourage everyone else to do it too. Just create a space with you and your friends where you can like um, have these conversations with them, encourage them to share deep things about themselves because it it's really powerful. And people are going to remember that party for like forever. If I just do a rager, no one would remember it. They'd be like oh, another rager out of like the 500 I went That's to That's so true. You know, I wanted something memorable, but the people were like, and I get, I got like four, mes- like four or five messages out of like the 10 people afterwards. And they were just like, oh my God, like, thank you so much. I really needed that. And I think it was a sign from the universe that I needed to go to your party. Cause I like was, I needed this at this very moment, that encouragement from other people, like the sense of like feeling accepted from other people. It was so beautiful. I almost cried. I was like, this is so You cute. did cry. I did cry. <laughs> I did cry. Um, no, it's true. We should do that more because I love yeah. getting people together too. You've yeah. been to my house like so many you times. You should do. You're, you're really good at throwing parties. I think you should do that for your next event. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. No, I totally will. We could plan it together. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I remember specifically um, specifically that night you were talking about like your background and how you – grew up poor and uh, and in Thailand and the moving and all of that. Um, you know, I feel like so many people that I talk to who are either successful founders or they're successful, you know, actors or in some way they've made it. Mm-hmm. They have stories like that. Yeah. Where they had a really hard upbringing filled with like trauma and uncertainty and whatever. But um, yeah, what was your... What was your childhood like? What's this? What's the story there? Yeah, I, I mean, I grew up with uh, my biological dad was. I would s- describe him as. I don't know. I mean, I, I was really young, but I just remember his energy being like really hostile, and not like there was no love there. Um, and so he would. He was a drunk. Like chronically, would always go out and drink until he couldn't see anymore. Come home, stumble back home, and. I remember one night specifically, he like hit my mom like really hard. And me and my sister were in the other room. We were like, because we, we already knew that he was not coming back home. Um, but he was out like with prostitutes. And I don't know. I don't even know what he was doing. But um, after that, my mom was like, okay, I'm going to take a stance and like we, like we can't be together anymore. And we had a, uh, and basically they had a divorce. And I remember her. Um, I remember I was on my grandfather's uh, like house and she was like, okay, so you're, you're picking who you want to live with, like basically choosing custody. Who are you picking? And my dad was always like rough with me. Like he hit me and he always like liked my sister more. And 
so I obviously picked my mom. Like when I went, when I saw her, it was like love, light, warmth, and then him was like cold, dark. Like that was what I remember as a kid. And then, and then after the divorce, my mom put me in my great grandfather's house. Um, and then she basically put me there. I remember it was like a stormy night, like thundering outside. She tucked me in bed and she was like, um, I'm just, I'm going basically. And I didn't know what was happening. And then I woke up the next day and she was gone. And I didn't know why. And she was gone for like two years. And that, when you're seven, like feels like an eternity. I, and it was like a house that was, it was a really bad, like the environment was really, Again, cold. My grandfather um, went, was in the Thai Navy, and so he lost all his hearing. Or he was a pilot, and he lost all his hearing. And um, so he was mute also. He couldn't really talk. And then my, this was really sad, my, my great-grandmother, um, right before I was born, she suffered a fall in that bathroom downstairs. And she fell in such a way that it, like, her, her spine severed, and she couldn't, she couldn't do anything. She was a complete vegetable. She was just in bed, like her brain was alive, but she, her whole body was immobile and dead. And she um, she just sat in the bed being fed through a tube. And this is who you were, this is who you were staying with at age yeah. seven. Yeah, and, and I just saw her, she was always like in the back corner of the house on the bed. And then I was with my great grandfather and he was just like, mute and death and like I <laughs> didn't couldn't communicate with anybody right and so um and he was really poor it was like a really it was like a dilapidated house and he went to the market uh every Sunday and got me potato chips like a large bag of potato chips and that's like basically all I ate the whole week so it was just like a really and then when I when I went to school like I had to walk to school like at 5 a.m. 4 a.m. whatever every morning and that there was no like shower it was just like a basin with water and then like I would have to pour myself with cold water every every morning. And I, I think I went to depression as a kid. Like, I, I think that's what it was. Like, I, I just remember everything was black and white. And, like, I had the most horrible, like, nightmares. And I never thought my mom was going to. I was like, my family's just gone overnight. And so two years later, my mom finally came back. But, like, that was super traumatic. Because also at school, um, my teacher, this was kindergarten in Thailand. For every, for every, <laughs> this is the way that they like used to reprimand their students. Um, for every uh, whatever test question that I got wrong, they would hit you that amount of time. So students, after they got the test scores, would line up in front of the teacher. A teacher had this stick, and he would just he would hit your hand the amount of times you got wrong. So you got five wrong, you get hit five times, and she had like a really big stick. So I would come home with like bruised hands. So it was like. And I would walk home, and it, and it was, like, super sweltering hot all the time. So it was just, like, a terrible overall, like, experience. I think I felt, like, super alone, like, being in that. So, yeah, when my mom came and got me, I was, like, I was, like, in a depression. Like, I, I couldn't even react. Like, I didn't even know. I was just, like, I just accepted my fate. You know, like, I was, like, this is how life is going to be. And so I was so grateful. Like, I still remember the moment, like, going over the Golden Gate Bridge. And I remember seeing, like, how beautiful like life was so yeah I'm just like super grateful to be in America I think it's you know it truly is the land of opportunity and I couldn't have accomplished it like if my mom didn't give me that chance you know um yeah I I mean I didn't even know the extent 
of what that was like living in in Thailand with your grandfather and great grandmother and just like not being able to communicate, going yeah. to school, yeah. you know, getting hit for being wrong about something like, yeah, you know, but but that you were able to leave and 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 come to America and that your mom came back is just like, yeah, uh, thank God. I mean, I'm I'm st I'm still grateful. Like, I I think that people have experienced way way worse than me in life, and like in their childhood, I've heard some crazy crazy stories. So it makes me feel like okay, what I went through wasn't like so bad. But obviously, like when you're just in that situation, you're like, this is this is like hell on earth. And my sister, I feel my bad for my sister because she had it even worse than me because she had to stay in, in um, Thailand for like five years after me. Because she stayed with your dad. Yeah, she she, she stayed with my dad, and he was a psycho. So like he, she went through some shit, you know, and she still, she still has, she still has depression and and like dealing with a lot of issues from because it. of that. So like I, in a way, like I had it way better than her, yeah. And I feel really bad because she's still dealing with it, you know. And I have gotten free from it. And I'm working on it, but I think it, it's good because it it just makes you more grateful for like everything. Yeah, I think so too. And also, I feel like it's important for people to know, you know, whatever they are going through. Yeah. That they can they can get out of it and their lives can turn around. Like just the way that you describe that moment where like you saw the bridge, you know, and then it's yeah. like you saw the light and everything changed, even though you did feel like you were hell on you were in hell on earth. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was when everything shifted, like cool air on my face. I think <laughs> like cool air on my face, you know, um, I like it's crazy because when you're like when you're seven I don't feel like you have many memories but because it was so like everything was so like jarring um I like vividly still remember looking up and like seeing the bridge like seeing like the gates you know like crossing over the bridge and I was like I'm in heaven now like I'm safe yeah. I'm good you know and so like maybe that's that's what drives me to feel like I don't have anything to lose because I felt like that was way worse you know like I'm never gonna get to that place again even if I lose everything I'm like I'm still gonna you're still in America I'm still in America <laughs> yeah and I still I'm still I still have the resources and like the friends and like all of this stuff I don't I feel like I actually have made friends who like would stick with me even after every like everything like changes for me you know like if everything was um if I didn't have anything yeah hearing that story makes you as a person makes so much more sense to me because I remember we were at that Rise Festival and it was me, you, and Matt. And like everywhere you would go, you would like, you would look at like a sculpture or like a mountain or something and you're like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. Like, I can't believe we're here. Like every little thing you would turn into like a big thing. And me and Matt were walking and, and I'm just like, I'm like, Matt, do you feel that way? I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't just like look at a mountain and feel that way. He's like, no, me neither, but maybe we should. I'm like, seriously, dude. Like, you know, we, we, it's almost like we took it for granted because we hadn't been where you were. You know what I mean? And it makes so much sense to me how the little things are so precious and beautiful to you and that you haven't lost that even though you've, you've come this far. You know what I mean? Like you still are that like young girl who's like seeing something for the first yeah. time. And like 
you know, it was it was really it it all it almost it gives me so much perspective to hear that story because it you know it's really a choice to be grateful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it really is a choice that you know, no matter how many great things have happened, even the most simplest thing, even the most simple thing, you have chosen to make a big thing that you can like be grateful for. And and like wow. that just made so much sense to me when you when you said that story because it meant so much to me and Matt were like I'm like, oh my God, I'm so lucky I'm friends with her. He's like, yeah, just, she's so amazing. I love her so much. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and then on top of that, of course, like, you know, she's, he's always like, she's the prettiest girl, blah, blah, blah. Aww. Like, he loves you so much. But it's not, you know, it's not just that. It's, it's like who you are and your soul and stuff like that, um, which makes it, you know, even better. But, um, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I never even thought about it like that, honestly, because I was like, <laughs> I always wonder why I am so, like, enthralled by things. I'm like, I'm, I always definitely did appreciate, like, the beauty in, in all things. And I never, I just thought it was, like, the artist in me. But you're right, it could be, definitely could be the I, it sounds Yeah, it yeah. sounds like that's that's the main thing, because, you know, you're on hell on earth, and you, ha- you, know, you haven't yeah. seen the light, and so everything, once you get out of that, it becomes... The light. Yeah. And they always say, like, you know, you can't appreciate the light without the darkness. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of, it's kind of that. Yeah. It's that. A hundred percent. And I think, like, the best art comes from, you know, you being in a dark place. Because that's when you feel the most emotional, the most connected with yourself. And that's why, you know, the best art is art. For me, I love crying to sad music. I love list, like throwing, like Cry X for me is like yeah. everything because I feel like he <laughs> connects to that deep place that a lot of musicians can't connect to because he connects with it. He connects to it within himself when he channels and when he uh, creates music. And so when he, when I play and when we saw him at um, Rise Festival, I was like, like this is great. Like this was a pivotal moment in my life. Like I felt like all of a sudden everything made sense. And yeah, I, th- I think, again, like going going back to Matt, like I, it was the first time I also felt like this was a relationship that is healthy. And this is the first time like I've ever been like this in love. And it was, it was crazy because we only known each other, for, or we only like started dating for like a week, and then <laughs> we said I love you. So I was like, Oh, dude, I was there for I it. I know. <laughs> um, okay, I want to talk about your relationship with Matt because he's also a friend of mine. I was friends with both of you before. Yeah, so you crazy. met. Um, but I saw the relationship like happen in front of my eyes, and it was. Yeah. It was so different because I also, you know, I'd seen, um, I'd seen you with, you know, boyfriends, and I, I never felt like you. I don't know. I never, I never felt like you could be fully yourself, but with him, I feel like you are. So, what do you, what do you think is like the main difference, and and what is it about Matt that brings that out in you? Yeah, it's. Um like we were talking about this, like psychology when you're growing up, it, there's like different types of attachment styles. There's like secure attachment, there's like anxious avoidant attachment. And um, 
I think I definitely have like more of like an anxious avoidant attachment because obviously my childhood. And so I, I feel like again to a lot of relationships with like other people who are like also anxious avoidant ma- males, especially males, it's really easy for them to be more avoidant. Yeah. Because yeah. it's hard for them to show emotion. But with Matt, I think because he's an artist and I haven't ever dated like an artist or creative before, which is weird because I, I am a creative, it makes sense, but I just never, I don't know why. I think it was, a t- I was again, I was like attached or cr- whatever, like attracted to anxious avoidant guys. And so um, he made me feel really secure, I think. Like he is like super um, expressive with his emotion and he's just really cute with all the things that he does and um, is, is actually more expressive than I am. So it's like almost like I feel like a little bit like <laughs> I'm like sort of the guy in the relationship in the sense of like expressing emotion because he is so expressive and so um, affectionate that it makes me feel like not as much, you know? And and so that makes me feel like really secure and feel really loved and really like, uh, I don't know, validated, I guess, because I never really felt that in a relationship, sadly. And I felt like I was just in with like I was I was with businessmen like a lot of the guys I dated were like also in business or entrepreneurs and um it, it was more like they were more focused on their business or whatever else was more important or higher priority and I was sort of there to like be a support system versus like being made the priority which he definitely like reinforces and tells me all the time like I'm the priority like above everything else which is insane you know like that's crazy to me to have somebody like feel that devoted to you and so I think that's when I, like, felt super secure. Yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, and and most, I mean, most of the guys you dated, it was in L.A., right? Because you were... Yeah, L.A. and one in Miami. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a difference between guys in L.A. and guys in Miami? <laughs> Uh, I mean, as a, I mean, there's obviously, like, people that travel to both cities, but, like, as an average in terms of, like, people who, like, live in Miami and stuff, it's definitely more, a little bit more surface level, I would say, than even L.A. Really? Um, At least the guys that I've seen, but I don't know. Again, it's, like, it's all personal experience, so it's hard to say, like, you know, in general, because I haven't even dated. I don't really date. (laughs) I just get into relationships. Yeah, you just get into relationships. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's hard for me to say. I wouldn't know because I didn't really explore the dating scene. Yeah, no, that makes sense. If you could go back and and talk to your, like, 20-year-old self about dating, (laughs) what would you – or, like, dating and also – priorities yeah what do you think you would say knowing what you know now based on like everything that you've been through and accomplished I think like you know set your boundaries and like listen to yourself more because I think I let I let other people dictate my life because I also felt a little helpless I think like again like going off my childhood I felt helpless so I think like in relationships I was also having that relationship with myself where I felt like I didn't have control over anything like it was up to the guy to decide or whatever and so I think um definitely show a little bit more dominance in 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 yourself and like where you what you want demand like what you want you can get I realized um and this is a whole nother topic of like manifestation in the universe I mean why not let's talk about it (laughs) yeah I, I I realized that and people, I've heard this before. Like when I started hearing about the secret, I was they're like, "Oh, you can manifest anything you want." I was like, "That sounds a little tacky," but then I like I understood it for myself when I started seeing it happen in my life. Like whatever I wanted and wished for, like I got 
but how? I would just imagine myself already having it and feeling like I already had it. And then it would just magically happen, like within the course of however long, but like pretty short period of time. Same thing with like with Glamnetic. I definitely like felt like I manifested that because it was something that I really wanted in my life was like the sense of purpose and like building something that like lasts beyond me. Because that was my my goal is just like to build a household name and after you know after we surpassed the level, I was like, oh, beyond ten thousand dollars a month, like <laughs> I I want to I've realized like I can make this into a long lasting household name that like even when I'm eighty years old, I want to look back on it and be like, wow, look at how much it's evolved and it's turned into this thing and it was like my baby and like, yeah, I'm like you don't even it. know what it's gonna be. It's literally like a child, like even child. still now, like it's you know you don't know what product you're gonna add next exactly. or what you're, you know what I mean. It truly is a it, it's like the same analogy of having a child. It's the exact same. Like, you you don't know what human you're birthing or the personality that it comes out with. It's going to have its own personality. It's going to want to do its own thing. That's the way that I feel like with Glenn. That yeah. I don't know exactly in 80 years where it's going to go. But, like, I have an overall feeling and idea of, like, where I want it to go. But it's, again, it has its own – almost has its own brain. Like, yeah. it's going to grow into something. And I'm, it's going to be really exciting to see where it goes. It's like literally, literally like a kid. <laughs> yeah, I think so many great companies are like that. Netflix, for example, was something completely different. They would like ship yeah. DVDs because you don't know. You don't know what like how the times will change. And and that's a mark of a great company is like being able to shift along with whatever is going on around it. it. It has to shift. Like Netflix, like you said, it's a great example. Um, Flying cars are coming out, you know? We don't know. <laughs> we like, yeah, there's the first flying car coming out in, like, 2025 or something. Oh, my God. So it's it's crazy. Like, the world is changing fast, especially now with AI. And um, we're creating technologies that think for themselves, you know? Like, we don't know where it's going to go. But I think at the heart of it, like, with the way society is built, there's always going to be a need to, for people to feel beautiful. It's just the methods in which they get there is going to change and, and improve with technology. And so hopefully, like... Um, with Glamnetic, it's, we're going to keep up with that and and make sure we, we are at the forefront of that. Yeah. No, 100%. You're, you're always keeping up with the times. <laughs> we did NFTs together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wild times. Wild yeah. times. Um, I'm trying to think. Did I miss anything? Um, maybe we could talk a little bit more about the, the universe thing because I think it's – yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Think, you mean the manifestation stuff? Yeah, the manifestation stuff, I feel like, is really cool. Um, because, yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that the universe, and I've heard this, I've heard this from everyone, yeah, right? Yeah, because it sounds I, very woo-woo. It sounds very woo-woo. It does. <laughs> but until you've, like, firsthand experienced the power of it, you're like, this is not woo-woo, this is real. Do you feel like you manifested Matt? I actually did. Okay, well, I want to hear about that. I actually did. Tell me. So there's, on YouTube, I get everything on YouTube. (laughs) On YouTube, (laughs) there's guided meditations on how to manifest whatever you want. Like, literally, there's, like, a million videos on, like, manifestation, meditation. Like, even before you fall asleep, that that, um, very specific time uh, while you're falling asleep and before you fall asleep is, like, when your brain is most, uh, uh, what is it, like, attuned and vulnerable to messages so that's when people like when people go into a hypnotic state they enter that state they put you in that state were you playing youtube videos while you were sleeping while i was because i'm down to try that Yeah, while i was almost falling asleep of just like because i was stuck in this relationship that was just so painful and just toxic and i just was like this is 
I need to figure out something, a way out of this. And I was like, I need to use my mind. And so I literally, I, I was like, this sounds crazy, but I'm going to do it. And so I started doing it. I only did it for like five nights. And just like that hour before you fall asleep, it's just, it was just like imagining the person that I wanted in my life. And I would imagine like the traits of somebody like that, basically what Matt had. What were the traits? Just someone like that was always like happy, smiling, laughing, and like, loving, affectionate, like devoted, um, artistic, but also hot. And I like, love that. And also swaggy. <laughs> yeah, and also swaggy <laughs> and all those things, you know, <laughs> obviously. And um, yeah, and it was crazy because it was like a month after that was when we took that trip. It was crazy because Nicole had always been saying, <laughs> Nicole knew both of us and she was like, wait, you should talk to Matt because he's actually like, you guys are very similar. You guys are like the male, female counterpart to each other. You should definitely, and I was like, mm, I don't know. And then when I talked to him, I was like, wow, okay. I get what he's, I get what she's, <laughs> where she's going with it. But I just never, I didn't see him more, more than just a friend initially. And then, um, and then we went on this trip together, which was by accident. I'm an itinerary girl. I, I might not be the most organized person when it comes to just my but you stuff, will set up but a fire itinerary. I am very much detail oriented when it comes to itineraries um, in uh, in planning any experience, any experience, um, especially trips. And so I did a five page itinerary for Washington because my friend Jen was asking me to go to a Rufus Du Soul concert at the Gorge, and I was like, wait, I definitely need to go to that because I, I haven't been and. Um, also, I love Rufus, and also I looked up on TikTok what like Washington looked like, and I was like, wow, it's there's so much nature, it's so beautiful. So, I basically did this whole like itinerary where the first three days was hiking and seeing all the sites like Mount Rainier and all the areas around there, and then the, um, on Saturday was the Rufus concert, and then two days after that was like this little town called Leavenworth, which is like a an old German town that was so freaking cute. And I had it all planned with details, dates, literally hour by hour breakdown, what we're gonna do. <laughs> I'm crazy. And then um, I sent it to Jen and she was like, oh, I can't go anymore. And I was like, okay. And so Matt, I was already texting Matt and I was like, I know this sounds a little crazy, but do you wanna go on this trip with me? Cause I really wanna go. And then he was, he said, yes. <laughs> but you know what though? What I like about this is that you were not afraid to take initiative in terms of that trip like yeah. obviously you know he was very active and yeah. making sure you guys saw each other and he really liked you but that's that's something that like I grew up I grew up Persian and I was always told like have the guy you know <laughs> yeah. message you first and don't yeah. ever show interest and in it was like all this advice that I was getting that was like complete bullshit and every girl I talk to that like really has the guy that she wants is like oh yeah like I just told him to come on a trip with me <laughs> I just told him to this and I'm like that's a pattern I've been noticing. Yeah. I think that's a big thing I notice about other people, too. I'm very much like I need to do whatever I feel, even if it's not necessarily meeting, like, my gender role. I don't care. Like, I'm, I <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Dude. Like, I will do it because I want to do it. And if, like, if, and if he didn't want to come, I would have invited somebody else, you know? Like, I was just like, I'm going to make this trip happen because I have a vision for how it's going to feel when I'm on it, and I need to I need to feel that. You know, like, I, I'm very, like, much of a visionary when it comes to like not even just in product and, and brand but also just in terms of my day-to-day -day. like I'm like I feel like I need to go this because it's gonna make me feel this way and I need I want to feel this way and so then I 
do the things necessary to do that. And it yeah. always it always happens. It always no, gets it's fulfilled. True. It always comes true. So that's why I'm like, um, I think I'm really good at setting up experiences. And that's why I started inviting like groups of friends on two trips because I have specific things I want to do in it. And everyone always like pretty much enjoys it. Sometimes they think it's a little intense because I'm like four hikes in a day. And I'm like, <laughs> but like, I think most of the time they're like, wow, we got to see a lot in the small amount of time we were there. We were productive. Like I'm a, yeah. I'm a very productive, uh, not just in like work, but also in life. Like I want to experience more and feel more and do more and, you know, see more. I think, you know, because I didn't get to do that as a kid. I didn't get to do that until college basically. So I, I'm like, I want to live life deeply. Yeah. No, you are, dude, you are such an inspiration to me. I can't even tell you. Like, everything that you're saying right now, I'm like, oh, my God. Because, I, I mean, I, re I relate to a lot, of, a lot of stuff. Like, you know, obviously I grew up in a little bit better circumstances, but emotionally I did feel very not seen and not understood by my parents. Yeah. So that was like a sort of hell on earth on its mm, own. Not because they weren't yeah. good parents. They tried to, but right. they just didn't get how my brain worked. Yeah. They didn't understand yeah. my generation. They didn't mm -hmm. understand anything that I was into or, you know, why I was sad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like little things like that. Um, and when I grew up, same thing, like, you know, I just felt like, okay, if I just like start throwing these events mm. and like reaching out to these people that are like heroes of mine or like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like when Naval spoke at my event, that was nuts to me. Yeah, You know what I mean? The first time, um, even the second time or like getting Chris Voss as a mentor and all these people and I'm like, whoa, like how am I even doing this? But it's like, you know in your head and, and intuitively what you want and what's going to feel good and who mm -hmm. you want to be surrounded by. Yeah. Even when you were describing right now, like, I I was imagining a guy that was, like, smiling and happy all the time. It's so funny because I grew up around guys that thought they were gangsters and that's who I would date in, like, high school. You know what I mean? And they always tried to, like, act really hard. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, those types of guys. I'm sure you've, like, you know, yeah, encountered I don't that, like that. I don't like that at yeah. all. And, and, like, when you just said and that. Girls and girls and boys. Like, I don't yeah, like I don't like that. I don't like that. Um, and when you just said that right now, I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, I just realized that this year that it's so important for me to be around a guy who's happy and smiling because it affects my mood. Yes. Like it affects my yeah, mood. Of course. I, like my mood will if you're if you're there, then I'm gonna join you yeah. there. And I don't like that. And exactly. and if you're not if you're not vibing, I'm not vibing. Exactly. Exactly, because it's it's contagious, and that's the thing. It's like it's basically a mark of a failing relationship. It's like stonewalling, and when males are kind of like that, more reserved and stuff, it's like easy for them to just like stonewall, and you feel like you did something wrong. Oh, it's like a form of gaslighting. But yeah, you feel but you like know, you did something wrong when you didn't. Yeah. Yes, but you know what I think is is like a major contribution of that. Um, you know, obviously you've seen like the Andrew Tate stuff, and there's a lot of advice on like. I guess it's like red pill Twitter. I don't even know what to call <laughs> these areas of the internet, uh -huh. but but you know, and and even like the advice we would consume in terms of like dating, um, a lot of it was based on gender roles, and while some of it is true, a lot of it is not. You know, so the stonewalling thing. It's like I've you know I've read advice that is given to guys about dating, and some of it is like, if she's acting up, ignore her. Like, literally, it will say that. The guy will be like, she will not respect you unless you ignore no. her, leave. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, you're just creating 
a dynamic where the girl is dependent on you, now you're creating an, an anxious attachment style where you have control yes. and it's a toxic dynamic. And that relationship is bound to fail. It's like if you want a faster failing relationship, keep doing that. Yeah, you keep know? doing that. But you're not going to find like true love, connection, vulnerability. And that's where you find true happiness. And I think a lot of males... Oh my God, did you know? I, Lucy showed me this because she messaged the founder of Seeking Arrangements. Or, or one of her employees didn't, and they wanted to do a partnership. And he was just like, I'm moving away from sugar babies, and I'm moving away from that. I want to like move Seeking into a new, um, I don't know, like I, arena I or something. Yeah. I realized that, she said, I realized that I was really lost and broken in the past, and I was trying to fill it with multiple girls and I thought that true love didn't exist but then I met a girl and she changed everything and now I realize I was dumb and stupid back then and that all these males on this on my platform are are lost and they just need to be found they just need some they just need to find love true love so that they realize that that's where like true happiness lies okay whoa first of all I want that that email guy she said that he said that email back to her dude I want that guy on this podcast. Second of all, you know who's yeah. also really good at talking about this? Um, you know my friend Neil Strauss? You met him. Um, he wrote the book The Game, uh-huh. teaching men how to, like, mm, you know, neg yeah. women and stuff like that. And he got really good at it. And yeah. he got a lot of girls and a lot of guys yep. learn to get women in that way. And I talked to him recently about it, and he said— uh, by the way, he's not like that at all. Like, he's a really no, great yeah, guy. Who's, he's so, yeah, nice. He, like, he, he does inner child work. He helps people connect with themselves. He is not that guy. But when he talks about that book, he, he told me, he's like, Nicole, that was a, really a book about insecurity, mm-hmm. is what I would say. A hundred percent. And so, so I think it would be so interesting. 100%. I'm just going to manifest this right here. I would love to have Neil Strauss and the Seeking Arrangements guy sitting on the couch <laughs> talking about that with me. Because guess fucking what? Wow. That's the truth. Right? Yeah. I, I feel it. It's I, already going to happen. I mean, why would they say no? Like, I think he wants to spread that message. That's why he wrote back in an email that message. And I'm going to hit him up straight up. Yeah. I'm going to. Yeah. Do it. That would be so crazy. But see, that, that's, that's like the whole point. Everything that I do, for example, I feel like my calling is to get people to learn things that are going to shift the trajectory of their mm. lives. That's all I yeah. think about all the time where I'm just, and, yeah. you, and you see it in like the way that I am. It's yeah. like, that's, that's all I'm thinking about on all fronts. Like forget just like entrepreneurship, your fucking soul, like everything that you do um, that we're not taught in school, in our families, by institutions that we trust. Like the fact that you just Googled what you needed to do, Anne. Yeah, it's all and a started your Yeah, and started your company. Like, I realized that people build the jails like within their mind themselves. They, they're the ones that build these barriers and boundaries. Like or, you're actually boundless. You could do anything you want if you want to do it. Yes, or they accept the limitations other people set for them. And mm-hmm. that could be their parents. That could be a religious organization. It could be every anything that they feel a sense of belonging to that they think they're going to be like X'd out of or they're going to be, like, disowned by their parents or something. That's why, like, Gary Vee was so powerful for me mm. because when I saw his videos circulating mm. when I was younger, I was just like, wait, so maybe my parents aren't right about everything? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's such a powerful right. message, you know? Yeah. And he does it in a way that's, like, entertaining and fun. And, like, yeah. I mean, I just think it's so great. Yeah, um, think about it. Your parents 
are just normal humans, like everyone else. Like, obviously, you're raised by them, so, like, the values that they have you, are instilled within you, but you realize that, like, they might not know everything, and you need to know that, right? And so I don't think that you should hold what they think and say as Bible. Like, you should definitely just um, believe whatever you want to believe, and that's why I, I really... I think it's so important for you, for someone to be intellectually curious. I am, always. I am so curious and ask a million questions. Matt's always like, why do you always, like even when I'm ordering something on the menu, I always have to ask five questions. Are there seed oils in this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm always like, I always want to know what other people's opinions are of the food there. And I'm always like, oh, so what's your favorite thing on the menu? What's the most popular? What, like, I, I need to know 100%. all these things. And he's like, why can't you just order what you want? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Cause I don't know how things are made here. So it's like always not, like always having a beginner's mind with everything. I feel like a lot of people have a lot of ego and they're just like, oh, I know everything. I don't need to ask questions. I don't need to. No, like that's how you like become more dumb. Yeah, over 100%. <laughs> yeah, like you need, and that's how you break the barriers of your own mind is like asking questions with people that even people that you think might know like less than you, they actually know more because they've lived a different life experience than you. There's a quote, I, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, every man is my superior in some way. Mm. Meaning like everyone knows something that you I don't know. That. You know what I mean? Like they've yes. had experiences you haven't had and they could tell you something that's... A hundred percent. And so I love that. But on on the subject of parents, I was watching a TikTok the other day. You know the ones that like now you can just like scroll through photos and it has like dramatic music playing. Yeah. Have you seen those? Yeah. There was one that was like, we don't realize that we're also watching our parents grow up. And I was mm. just like, oh, my God. Wow. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're, dude, think about it. Your parents are kids in a way. It's like yeah. even us, let's say we had a kid right now. We've never had one before. I don't know what to do. Like, yeah. I, I'm, I don't know. How would 100%. they know? You know, and it's like it's like this whole this whole cycle and, and that parents go through. And, and kids have a lot of kids have a lot of resentment towards their parents but when you when you think about it like that it's easier to forgive i feel like yeah that's a really good way to put it um they they that's why i said like like they literally don't know more than you necessarily or know less than anyone it's like both as a duality um for it like there's certain things that they're really really good at and that they've learned through them bringing you up but again they're not perfect and that's why i think you have to set your own path like don't don't look at what everyone else is doing. Like no one was making like <laughs> magnetic liner and lashes yeah. when I was starting the brand. I was just like, I felt like this was right. Like you have to listen to your gut truly. I think people are afraid to like follow their own path and their own gut. Cause it's like, oh, this might happen. This might happen. I hear so many excuses when a girl comes up to me and she's like, I need advice. And then I say like all these things that they should do. And then they just come up with excuses on why they can't do it. I'm like, that's all in your head. You realize. Like, you need to work on that first. I think meditate every day and get connected to that source energy. And that's when you realize, like, you are going to... I mean, I, I do I quite... I, okay, this I don't even know I can say this, but I do shrooms. Like, I, I have taken... Why not? By like the way, shrooms are, are about to be legal. I feel like we're moving towards yeah. legalization of, of shrooms. There's you know, definitely been a bad rep for it, obviously, because it's not legal. But um, I think... Alcohol is way worse. Like alcohol, literally. Alcohol is way my worse. Family, you know, yeah, way worse. It's killed my dad. Like he um, died of alcoholism because he was wow. drinking. He drank himself to death, literally. Oh my god. Um, 
So I know for sure <laughs> it's a way worse. It's worse for your liver. You can't do it every day, whatever. But yeah, mushrooms, um, it's it's healing. And I think it, it allows you to, for the first time, tap into this source energy that everyone's talking about. You realize like the connectedness of all things and it removes your ego from everything that you do. And I think it, it's a powerful drug that heals. And I think it's so important for humanity and everyone to, to take it because it, it does make you feel more love and connection towards other people in a way that you've never felt before. Um, and you real and the, that manifestation thing of tapping into this universe, like this energy comes through when you take shrooms, like you can feel it. Um, some people ha do get it from meditating for like long periods yeah, of time. Could, I've heard yeah. too, but people don't have time for that. If you want to get there faster, <laughs> you could totally do it. Like I think, like like that's what I under began to understand. Like what Buddhist monks meditate for hours to achieve and for days, whatever to to achieve this enlightenment. Um, but you can literally get it through. I mean, it, obviously it's it's labeled as a recreational drug, but it's it's really not. It's actually medicine for the soul. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's like higher forms of it, like ayahuasca, which like I've heard some insane stories. I'm scared to do ayahuasca. I actually want to do it sometime this year, but I'm, I mean, a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of people that do it. A lot of, you know, highly yeah. intelligent and like, yeah, it, I mean, it's a thing. It's definitely, I, it, I have nothing against it. What it does is it removes your soul from your body. And what, why, when I say that, um, if you think about it, I mean, I was brought up Buddhist and we really believed in reincarnation and the cycle of life and karma. And, um, you know, your soul, after you die, your soul leaves your body and it gets reincarnated into another thing, another living thing. Based on your uh, how you conducted yourself in this life, if you were a bad person, you get put into like an ant or like something that lives a life of suffering until you resolve that in the next life. And so, like, if you're a really good person, you can be born, like, into, like, a higher status, whatever, like, better life and have more opportunities in your life. I think I had really good karma in my past life because I, I do have a lot of luck in, my, in this life. Um, but I, I really, truly believe that. And I, I saw that. I saw that everyone was an, a ball of energy and that we are all light and that everyone comes from the same source of energy and we're just all individual souls. But we all are actually this, from the same substance, um, and so in that way, that's how everyone's connected. And in that way, you can literally manifest anything because we're all one. Why couldn't you just like flex a hand and then you get it, right? It's yeah, like, yeah, I love that It's like that you mentality. have control over different parts of yourself, which is actually the, the bigger part of the whole. Um, and that's, that's when I realized you can instantaneously get what you want because it's almost like just flexing a hand. Okay, I want this. Okay, I'm flexing the hand and I get it. Um, so that was the way that I saw it. And it was like so clear in my mind. And yeah, I think people need to tap into that more if they really wanna go further in life. I, I feel like I feel like the second America, you know, collectively realized they had, you know, they had an obesity epidemic, they manifested Ozempic, so. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it works, guys. I mean, no, actually, I'm totally I, kidding. I'm totally kidding. I heard that it makes you, I mean, obviously, like anything with crazy side of like crazy results like that, there's going to be major side effects. And um, one of them is like it makes your bones brittle. Oh, yeah. So when yeah, you yeah. Age, and it reduces it reduces muscle mass. I, d I am not endorsing yeah. the use. So it's like when you're when you're <laughs> like 50, you're going to fall and you're actually going to, I don't know, God forbid, like. Yeah. And no amount break. of like calcium can 
help you there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole <laughs> other issue. Um, okay. Last question. I ask everybody on the podcast oh, gosh. this question. <laughs> so it's um, basically I realized that like everyone has so many messages they want to share, but it's hard to determine uh, which one is the most important to them mm. um, and which one they feel like most urgently needs to be shared. So I came up with this scenario. You're at the Oscars and you're nominated for, in your case, let's say a documentary about beauty. Okay. Um, and they call out the nominees and then time to, time to announce the winner. They announce the winner and it's you. And you walk up to the stage, you think everybody that you need to thank, um, so Matt, you know, your, your mom, all your friends, the ayahuasca you just took, everything, <laughs> you know, everyone. And then there's that uh, 45 second to one minute window where um, you can say whatever you want. There's gonna be headlines. It's gonna go viral, TikTok, Reels. Um, what's your one message to the world? Um, what, what, like, what message do you feel like most urgently needs to be shared in that yeah. time span? I think the thing that comes to mind is, first of all, money, fame, success. This all doesn't matter. This is all a facade and a human construct that we've all created. I know you think that I'm amazing for accomplishing this, but in reality, which I think true success is you connecting deeply with yourself and with one another, with your loved ones because all, all that matters at the end of the day when you die is love. Yeah, just to be clear, I don't think you're amazing for accomplishing that. <laughs> I think you're amazing for accomplishing that, but being humble and kind and adventurous and all those things, because I've met tons of successful people who are not those things, and I just wouldn't want them sitting across from me. Yeah, so, so sad. I know. Because it's like I want to get to know them more, and then I and then when I do re like get to know them, a lot of the times it's like a little, it's like all ego. Yeah. And I'm like, but you know what? I feel like life eventually humbles those people. Yeah. Whether it happens now or later, there's gonna be a moment where they realize n the money isn't what made them happy. Yeah. They need you to know? go through it. Everyone needs to go through their life yeah. journey. Yeah. I realize that everyone is at a different point in their life journey and. Even if you think you're so far, there's so many other people that know more than you. And so that's why it's so important to like connect with others. Um, this weekend, I'm actually going to um, a, a retreat. Uh, it's called The Yearn. My friend Justin Choi put it on. And it's mm -hmm. like a bunch of Burning Man people. But also um, everyone is like sort of like spiritually studied and has put in a lot of work on themselves. Yeah. So I'm really excited because it's like everyone is actually pretty successful. and, and But they don't talk about the work. They don't talk about what they do for a living. They talk about you know, what they've done to get to the point that they're at uh, mentally. Um, and so I'm really excited to learn from these people and see, you know, what we get from it because I think I, I have a lot to learn. He's like, I feel like, he's like, I feel like you've experienced spiritual awakening, but you're like at the beginning stage of it. You need to like figure out how to, you know, learn and, and, and get further along that path. Um, the, the worst thing though is when people are like, toxic about their spirituality and they think that they're better than other people because don't get me started do <laughs> not get me started so, on that as long as that doesn't that doesn't happen then it's great it's more like i just want other people to feel like what i felt and um experience it because i think it's beautiful and i think the door is open wide open for you yeah no i totally agree 
And thanks for coming on. I love you. You're amazing. I love you too. And thanks for having me. <laughs>